The first reading is from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning at verse 8, and that's on page 1146 in the Church Bibles. And this is from a chapter titled, The Nature of True Apostleship. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign, so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honoured, we are dishonoured. To this very hour we go, hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. This is the word of the Lord. This reading is taken from Matthew, chapter 16, verses 24 to 28. And if you want to follow it on the Church Bibles, it's on page 983. Jesus predicts his death. Um, Peter rebukes him when he says that he's going to die. But Jesus turns on Peter and tells him, get behind me, Satan. And then page 24 to 28 then Jesus said to his disciples whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me as for whoever wants to save their life will lose it but whoever loses their life for me will find it what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. 
Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the Lord. pray. Let's pray. <laughs> we thank you, Lord, for your word to us. It's a light for our path. It is food for our soul. May it be so for us this morning. Amen. Uh, well, last week uh, after the service, we continued a conversation that we're having and sharing together as we consider and reconfigure what leadership looks like in this parish and particularly in the light of the changes uh, that have happened around us in the last uh, few years. And that conversation about focal ministry is something that is ongoing. Um, it will partly be picked up uh, at the APCM in a couple of weeks, but I'm always open to have coffees and questions and all manner of thoughts like that. So if you have any, uh, please do talk to me. But whatever happens, whatever we choose to do, it's clear that together as a church we will be discerning not only the form that leadership will take in this church, but we'll also be praying and discerning who might be exercising that leadership as we call from amongst our number those who we wish to call to that ministry. And for some, this will be a strange thing to think about, uh, particularly as Anglicans in the Church of England uh, we are used to our leaders being chosen for us, or by accident of birth uh, in recent days. Um, we are used to vicars being appointed by the bishop or by a small committee of various people from across the deanery, or perhaps by the diocesan ministry and pastoral committee enacting a pastoral scheme. Even our bishops are chosen of the Crown Nominations Committee, the Prime Minister and the King. And so when we think about leadership and how we discern it, it can all seem a little bit up, up there, above our heads. And even at the local level, uh, we often delegate it. We let the vicar appoint his or her deputies, or we ask the PCC to form a recruitment committee for something. Now, none of those are bad, Procedures are good, they encapsulate a whole lot of checks and balances, but I do find myself contrasting those sorts of things with the way of the early church. In the book of Acts, the church had some senior leaders, apostles appointed by Christ himself at the beginning, and they also did do some appointing of elders in various places, but they didn't exercise that leadership with a form of dominion. In fact, in Acts chapter 6, when it was clear that deacons needed in the church, the apostles gathered all the disciples, that is the whole church, and said, choose. Choose from among yourselves seven people who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. You choose. You decide. You discern, the apostles said to the church. 
chapter 13 in the church in Antioch where Christians were first called Christians, the whole church was gathered together in worship and prayer and a time of fasting and collectively they heard the Holy Spirit say, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Barnabas and Saul weren't even appointed by the apostles. They had to go and sort of introduce themselves later. They were commissioned to missional leadership by the church gathered together in prayer and worship. So as we continue our conversation, one of the things that excites me about the possibility is that we get to exercise something of this sort of discernment. And uh, as we consider that possibility and as we approach our APCM and the PCC's work that will follow it, I thought it would be useful to sort of reach down a little bit and uncover more of these biblical foundations. And particularly around the concept of leadership, which is something of a L word in church dynamics. I know when I use the word leader that there's often an emotional reaction in front of me. We respond to it viscerally. Why is that? There's two things I observe. Firstly, a common emotion when I use the word leadership is hurt and pain. Many of us carry the wounds of our experience of leaders, especially church leaders. And certainly in recent days, there have been revelations of broken leadership in the wider church that has certainly been painful for many people, including myself and my family. So often we respond to leadership with a response of pain. And it's understandable. Leadership, whether we like it or not, is about the certain degree, an exercise of a certain degree of power. It's actually one of the geniuses of having a constitutional monarchy. We give absolute power to someone who will never use it. But in leadership is about the exercise of power. It may not be control, although it can be that, but it is certainly the capacity and the ability to shape and influence. And all of us to a greater or lesser extent, lead to some degree. As parents, we lead our children. We influence them. Spouses lead each other. In any given conversation amongst friends or acquaintances, we have a degree of listening in that conversation, but also a desire, a good desire, to speak something into that dialogue. Otherwise, it's a really boring conversation. And that speaking into the dialogue will guide and shape the direction of the conversation. It's a form of leadership. If we have an area of expertise or experience or a particular perspective that is valuable, then the effect of what we speak is amplified. We have a greater level of influence. And there are other factors at play as well, from our various privileges, our personality, our sense of confidence, whether we feel we have the right to speak. But none of that is bad, the fact that we all lead. In the image of God, we are all relational, and therefore, we are all influencers, and not in the Instagram sense. 
we all are meant to live Mark. As followers of Christ, as disciples of Jesus, our calling is not to withdraw from that influence, but to make sure that it's done well and with love and with joy and with the spirit of truth to ensure that it builds up and is postured in humility and even service. Even if the only person you are influencing is yourself, you are at least leading yourself, your own internal world and posture before God. We all lead to some degree. And if we pretend that we don't, then we are unable to examine ourselves, humble ourselves, and ensure that we are leading well. But all of that helps us to understand why leadership, and especially church leadership, can be a painful experience. We invite people to lead, and we give them a position, and we take the risk of permitting them to influence us. We say to them, give us direction, give us advice, uh, insight, draw our collective decisions together, adjudicate between our differences, set an example, show us the way, demarcate our priorities. We're giving them the permission to affect our lives in some way, and we're handing them the tool to do it. And that tool might be used well for good or badly in a way that can wound and damage us. Leadership exercised by humans is always imperfect. It can also be negligent and abusive, and many of us have the wounds and the scars to show. Which means the thought of asking someone that we know, people from our midst, to lead us, to give them the opportunity to influence us, is understandably a big ask. And even more, to contemplate the, contemplate the possibility that you might be one of those people, to be asked to be a leader can be a terrifying thought. The idea can be abhorrent. And can I just confess before you that I too have those moments certainly of self-doubt, but also of having experienced pain. There are certain church leaders who, by their position and persona, when they speak, trigger every alarm in me, and the fight and flight kicks in. But what I long for isn't that leadership would disappear. I long that leadership would be done well. I don't look up the chain at bishops and archbishops and all the other people and say, go away, I don't need you, that would make me unaccountable. What I do is I look up the chain and say, cover me, help me, show me the way, lead me well. Do it like Jesus, point me to him. And when we are asked to contemplate that, that's what we are thinking about. How would Jesus lead? Let's hold that for a second, that first emotional response, one that can be one of pain and trouble. Let's look at the second reaction we have. When we use the word, the L word, leadership, one of the things that we often respond to is we think in terms of caricature. When I say the word leader, then I suspect you'll have an image of someone jump into your head. 
as to what a leader is like. Perhaps it's someone in a politician's suit with unkempt hair. Perhaps it's someone who has lots of money and blows up rocket ships. Perhaps it's someone who gets to wear some funny clothes and hold a holy hand grenade. But you'll have an image. In church circles, we might think of someone who can command a stage or who has a few tens of thousands of social media followers or a successful podcast. Perhaps we think of someone who is like a parental figure, a mother or father who commands respect and just simply is in some way. Perhaps it's someone who has a name, who has a, been successful in some way with an entrepreneur, get-it-done attitude that achieves something. We look at them and say, that is a leader. And whatever it is, we buy into that sense of success, and I get it. In one of my previous jobs, I happened to qualify for attendance at the new leaders of larger Anglican churches conference. It wasn't the new larger leaders of Anglican churches. It was the... Think about it. Um, and it did feel a bit like I was buying into a caricature, like, my, like an aunt was going around me and saying, oh, Will, look, you've made it the big times now, son. And it fell off. The thing is, of course, is that if we think of leadership like that, we'll do two things. Firstly, we will look for leaders who fit the bill of the caricature, just like in the Old Testament when they chose, when King Saul was selected, he, he was taller than everybody else. It's like, well, they're the kingly person. And secondly, we'll disqualify ourselves from considering leadership because there's no way we could do that or look like that. That's for other people. But as we look to the Bible today, what we find, I think, is something that cuts across both of those reactions, those understandable pains, those caricatures of leadership. Clearly there are big names in the Bible and there are moments of success and some of them, including Jesus, are quite famous. But the ones who truly capture the heart of God for leadership wear it differently in a way that I think we should see as safe or at least possible in way in which that grace may even extend to us. So, as we look at our reading, and we'll be looking at our reading from 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking. Paul is clearly a leader. At the end of the passage, he literally exhorts us to imitate me, he says, be influenced by what I do. But how does he do that? As Paul starts his, this part of his letter we need to realise that the Corinthians to whom he is writing are quite proud of themselves at this point in time. They have become the big name church. With, and if they had existed in this day and age, they would have a very nicely branded website. They are able to afford the big name super apostles, the professional orators who would go around and tickle their ears and give them a stirring speech. And they would leave those meetings feeling spiritually fed. They feel like they've outgrown their founder Paul in some way. And Paul leans into this situation. And uh, he does so with a degree of what I call um, pastoral sarcasm. 
And he says, already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign. And that without us. And how much that were true, because then I could join in, he says. And he uses this image of a triumphant procession. In Paul's era, when an emperor would come back successfully from war, there would be a parade, and it would be literally called a triumph. And the emperor himself would be at the front on a big horse, maybe a golden coach, and the procession would, would go forward, and there'd be generals and all the leaders, and then eventually you'd have the prisoners that would be coming along, and, and all the loot would become, and at the end would be the prisoners who would be coming back, and some would be fed to the lions as a bit of entertainment, and others, if they were lucky, would be turned into gladiators, all for the delight of the crowd. And Paul spins this image, he says. I'm glad you're, you are the leaders, Corinthians. I'm glad you're up the fronts of the procession. I'm glad you're winning for it seems to me, he says, God has put us apostles at the other end. Like those condemned to die in the arena, we have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise. We are weak, but you are so strong. You are honoured, we are dishonoured to this very hour. We go hungry and thirsty, we are in rags, we are brutal treated we are homeless we work hard when we are cursed we blessed when we are persecuted we endure it when we are slandered we answer kindly we have become the scum of the earth the garbage of the world right up to this moment when paul speaks of his own leadership as an apostle he doesn't lean into the glory into his success or his skills or his shining charisma. He doesn't lay claim to numbers. He calls himself the scum of the earth and the garbage of the world. He leans into his weakness. There were glimpses of this yesterday as the Archbishop spoke of the true king whose regalia is his wounds. We lean into the same sort of leadership as Christ. To lead according to the way of Christ isn't to ride the war horse at the front. It's to ride, follow the one who rode a donkey. It isn't to lay claim to the rights of victory. It's to do what Christ himself urged in our gospel reading. Pick up your cross and follow me. Pick up your instrument of execution and lay down your life. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for me will find it. Bless when you are cursed. Endure when you are persecuted. Paul would at other times speak of leadership as sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Uh, not because he thought he was joining in, in the crucifixion, but because he had learned that the way of leadership was one that would yearn for and pray for and travail for the people of God like parents yearn for their children. This is what he means when he says, even if you had 10,000 guardians, you do not have many fathers in Christ Jesus. 
I became your father through the gospel, he says. His qualification for leadership is not in his success, but simply in his presence, in his giving of himself to the burdens and cares of the people of God. That is the God-reliant posture of his influence. And I think he knows, therefore, what, it, what Christ meant when he said, take my yoke upon you, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Because it's the yoke of grace, not the yoke of success. It's the yoke of willing to be nothing, scum and garbage, in order to speak life. And I tell you what, I would rather have that yoke any day than the burden that comes with having to strive, strive, strive like some megalomaniac forcing growth into a church. Can I tell you, there are times when I have to assess someone for leadership, and that includes self-assessment. And long ago I realised that I stopped looking for achievements or even particular talents or skill sets. I learned to ask first and foremost, do I see someone who has picked up their cross? Do I see someone who has learned to die to themselves? I don't look for perfection, but I do look for a heart in which I can see that possibility. You see, the more we are like the people at the front of the procession, the more we look for or even get the glory, the more we are enamoured by the big personality and the more we are open to the toxicity and pain that that can bring. The more someone looks like that sort of leader, the less I trust them. And if I'm that leader, then whatever I do will max out at the size of me and I'm not that big or that healthy. But the more we look like Jesus, the more I see a willingness to be obscure, to respond to curse with blessing, to fear with faith, to being willing to explore their own pain and weakness so that the grace of God might be more manifest. When I see someone approach the church not as a task to be achieved, but as a family to love, even a broken family, that needs to be held and dreamed about and hoped for with a hope that is beyond understanding, well, the more they look like Jesus, and I can trust him. We are entering into a season of discernment in these weeks that lie ahead. And so when we think about that, I'm not asking us to think about, first and foremost, management structures or efficient ways of doing things. I'm being asked us thinking about how do we lead ourselves well. I don't want to be a toxic church or a self-successful one. So I don't want to look around at ourselves and look for those qualities by measuring ourselves by some sense of achievement. I do want to be marked by the heart of Christ. And so I do look around and say, Lord, where is your spirit at work? who will lead us with your hearts. And some of us here have been led by the Spirit, often through difficult and dry years and sometimes just through the ordinary pain of life. But you have, whether you realise it or not, have journeyed with something that captures the heart of Christ and you can lead us well. Those people in our midst, they may not look typical 
but you might see something in them. And I would love for us to call those people together and say, lead us, influence us. I would love to pray with those people and to discover with them a posture of worship and grace and the knowledge of the heart of Christ. As we go into this season of discernment, can you be praying for that? Can we be praying for that? And one of the questions in the midst of that is, could one of those people be you? Let's pray. Lord, by your spirit, you have led your people throughout the years. And we are your people. Fill us afresh with your spirit that we may see you and rely on you. Lay down ourselves and seek you again. And we thank you, Lord, that of your greatest graces and blessings we have been given each other. So, Lord, be with us as we discern how we might be together well and forge ahead in the way that looks like you. Amen.